Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Hmm. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. I joined Jean uh, sat Friday at the nursing home um, to assist her in the outreach where Doreen has uh, had a wonderful work for many years. And I'm uh, thinking along the way as I'm going there knowing that I'll probably be asked to speak. And I, when I got there, I th you look at all the people. There were about 14 uh, people that were there. And uh, they were all aged, uh, ill, um, and really don't have a future on this earth, that's for sure, uh, with the conditions that they're in. But, you know, the amazing thing that we can do as God's people is we can bring hope to people. Hope. When there is no hope. The scripture says that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the scriptures are endowed with inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that from them and through them we can have hope. So how do we counter depression? You know, our minds are our enemies oftentimes and our hearts fall into the same pit as the mind does and it's sometimes very difficult to get out of it. I want to encourage us all to dig into the Word because the Word of God is inspired and intends to give us peace and comfort that we can't find. So even in death, like the Bible tells us, that even in death the righteous have a refuge. Even in death the righteous have a refuge. So that's why we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And that's something that we could kind of plaster over the book of Ecclesiastes that there is, a, there is a victory over the defeat of death that we can have that confidence and hope. So when we lose a loved one, and some of you have, and I hope that they were believers and know the Lord, and if so, we can take the words of the Thessalonians when Paul writes to them and says this to them that we do not sorrow as others who what? Have no hope. Others who have no hope. As God's people, we have hope. So that's something that we can always be confident and live with that enthusiasm and encouragement. The name of this sermon I gave it was Solomonic Wisdom. The Wisdom of Solomon. More reflections of his. 
Now, again, it's an assumption that Solomon is the author of the book, but whether he is or isn't, it is definitely a book of a Solomon-like figure who has wisdom. Remember, Solomon himself was the offspring of David and Bathsheba. Those were his parents. What would you say Solomon was best known for? Three things. And you could pick any one of them, any one of them and you would be right. And they all begin with a W. Wealth, woman, and wisdom. He had more wealth than anyone that ever lived. He was stocked with all sorts of money, undoubtedly. Woman, we all know the story, 700 wives, 300 concubines. I had to wrap your head around that one, but that's what the scripture says about him. And I know a lot of them were primarily political alliances. And the third thing that he's best known for is wisdom. Jesus himself says that the queen of Sheba came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, it's not just her, but we, we find, for instance, elsewhere in the book of 1 Kings 4, it says that um, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure as vast as the sand of the sea. And it tells us that, that there were other kings and nations that came as well, like the queen of Sheba, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. How desirous are we to get wisdom? The book of Proverbs tells us that wisdom is the principal thing. Paul says to the Corinthians, remember, is there not a wise man among you? You know, the world by wisdom didn't know God. As great as the Greek philosophers were in the boasts that the Greeks could make in their Socrates and their Ciceros and their Plato's and Aristotle's, the world, they, the philosophers, and all under them, by their wisdom, did not know God. But we, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and so on. So God made Christ to us, who to them is foolishness, someone that they could not uh, uh, apprehend or comprehend, I should say, uh, but we, by God's mercy, are able to comprehend Jesus, have him as our wisdom. That's where we go for our wisdom. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. He spoke about plant life, animals, reptiles, his wisdom exceeded all the wisdom of the wise men on the earth. 1 Kings 4.34 says, From all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, even all kings of the earth. When Solomon was asked in a dream from God, What do you want? What God compliments him for that he didn't ask for. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for riches. But God gave him wisdom because he said, Lord, give me understanding that I might know how to go in and out among God's people. God compliments Solomon for a prayer of seeking understanding or wisdom from God. And God granted him that request. 
Remember in the book of James 1, 5, it says, if any of you, and I'm sure we can all say this, us, if any of us lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God that gives liberally to all men and appraiseth not, and it shall be given him. Wisdom is the principal thing. When Solomon is first put to the test after he had prayed for understanding and God gave him this wisdom, there were two prostitutes that had a conflict. They each had babies almost simultaneously. One had one, one had the other. They were both newborns. They, they roomed together, the, the, the uh, prostitutes, and each of them were nursing mothers in different beds. And on one evening, one of the prostitutes rolled over and smothered her baby to death, not knowing it in her sleep. When she went to give the baby suck, she discovered the baby was dead. The prostitute goes over to the other bed while the other prostitute is sleeping and switches the babies, puts her dead baby beneath the other prostitute, taking the live baby into her bed with her. And when the mother woke to give her baby milk, she discovered that the baby was dead. But she recognized, that's not my baby. And she had a dispute with the other prostitute. You took my baby and gave me your baby. And, and they couldn't agree. Finally, they approached Solomon. Solomon hears both sides. And what does he say? He listens to both of the cases like a good judge would and says, divide the child. Divide, in other words, get the sword out. We're going to cut the baby in half. You take this half. You take the other half. Well, the false mother says, okay. But the real mother says, no, no. Give that baby to her. I want my baby to live. Solomon says, she's the real mother. That child's going to her. This is his displaying of the wisdom that the Lord had given to him. And God records that for us so that we can know that prayer, the prayer of Solomon was answered. Now, that doesn't mean that Solomon was perfect. It tells us in Nehemiah that even him did outlandish woman cause to sin, the King James Version tells us. He had stumbled. He was, from the book of Deuteronomy 17, didn't understand the warnings that a king was not to multiply horses, which he did, wasn't supposed to multiply wealth, which he did. And what was the third thing that he was supposed to not do? Multiply wives. And he did all of them. Well, he stumbled, of course. So we always have to be careful with as much wisdom as we may get, we can still fall as well. It's great to have wisdom. And, you know, the Bible is loaded with, with uh, wisdom books. Those books would be like Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon that makes up a goodly part of the scriptures. I think we all, to some degree, have wisdom statements. I'm going to give you a few of mine that I've tried to absorb in my thinking that have biblical precedent, but they're just sort of cliches that I have. For instance, like loose lips sink big ships. Or a person communicates more by his spirit than he does by his words. Think twice before you speak once. This is one that I grew up with. This was common to be done, called names. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? So true. My grandmother used to tell me, she'd stick her tongue out. She said, see, the tongue has no bones, but you, with it, you can hurt people. 
just like the scripture says, a soft tongue breaks the bones. That's a danger right here. So I wrote this little phrase that uh, though we are not able to uh, tame our tongue, we can at least tie it. Uh, How about don't wrestle with the pig because you will both get dirty, but only the pig will enjoy it. So watch who you wrestle with or dispute or argue with. Silence is golden, isn't it, sometimes? How about this one? It takes a lifetime to build a relationship, but only a moment to ruin one. It takes a lifetime to build a relationship, but only a moment to ruin one. Wisdom is the principal thing. There's a number of verses in the, lots of verses, and here's some of the ones that I've enjoyed myself in the book of Ecclesiastes that I think point to the truth that the book of Ecclesiastes is loaded with proverbial statements of Solomon-like wisdom. Better is a handful with quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help them up. Go near to listen rather rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Better the eyes that see than the roving of the appetite. Ecclesiastes 690 is all verses right out of Ecclesiastes. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Better off going to a funeral than you would be to a wedding. Scripture says right here. Why? Because a living will lay it to his heart and his heart will be made better. There is a proper time and procedure for every matter. How important it is to do things at the right time. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Oftentimes we want to retaliate. We want a quick word back or we want to ball somebody out or we want to approach somebody. It may not be the right time. The wise heart will know the proper time and procedure for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter. 8.12 It will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Uh, Let's be Solomon-like. Let's ask for wisdom. And let's apply that wisdom to our everyday circumstances. Now, our text here, Ecclesiastes 10, it's pretty straightforward, obviously. But we could, I think, make a few comments that could be helpful. Dead flies give perfume a bad smell. Now, I don't know what kind of flies they had back then, but it may be referring to a special species of fly that would have been something that would have contaminated contaminated the the perfume. Perfume, of course, is to give off a beautiful odor, a, a sweet smell. But a fly can ruin that and make it a bad smell. Now, what does Solomon here say? So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. How quickly we can ruin our reputation uh, that may otherwise have been prudent and respectable, but something that we could do or say could throw that whole image off by how we would act or how we would say, or what we would say. I think it's important, therefore, that we kind of take close look at ourselves and be careful 
about a coarse joke, like the book of Ephesians chapter 5 says. I'm jokey. I like to joke. Laughter is a medicine. I think it's a healthy thing. It's a joyous thing. I love to put smiles on people's face. Can you smile for me? Clear. There you go. I want, <laughs> want to see people smiling. I want them to be happy in Jesus. And I hope you want the same thing. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know, that's one of the blessings of being a Christian with Christians. One of the advantages of body life, of being together, talking on phone, sending emails or texts. Okay, there's a place for that. But how superior is it when fellow believers get together? Because a man communicates more by his spirit than by his words. And by your spirit, you can lift the spirits of somebody else. And your joy can be transferred to someone else's so that their depression or their discouragement might be altered by the way in which you can influence and impact them. We all know that expression, one bad apple spoils the bunch. Well, something that we could do or say could possibly ruin us for life. Uh, having worked in the prison system for four and a half years, state prisons and otherwise, um, met murderers, um, got very familiar with them one-on-one in Bible study groups that I was a part of and, and sermons that I would preach. In. So I got very f- friendly with a number of them and have even since they've gotten released. Uh, two particular murderers uh, who became believers in jail and have, uh, have outstanding testimonies for the Lord, praise the Lord, But in each of their cases, particularly one, he made one mistake, one mistake one day and had to serve a life sentence over it. And if it wasn't for the governor's pardon that came out of the state house in Massachusetts, he would not be on the streets today. After 22 years, the governor gave him a a special pardon because of the kind of life that he lived in the prison, how the Lord had saved him, and how he became an assistant to the chaplain and was a tremendous impact and influence on the life of many of the inmates there. And he was a true blessing to me, and I worked very well with him as his desire was to see the lives of these people changed. The scripture goes on in verse 2, The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Some translations would have right hand, that's at least the implication, and left hand. Um, How many of you are lefty here, by the way? Ah, about maybe eight or so lefties. Don't feel bad, you feel left-handed. I think my wife was at one time, right, she was. Some of you might be able to write with both hands or throw with both hands. I faced a picture, amazingly, uh, he's from Springfield, uh, when we had, when there were right-handed batters up, he would throw left-hand. And when there was a left-handed batter up, excuse me, when you're right-handed batter, right hand, a left-handed batter, left hand. He just switched the hand of the glove and he put the ball in his other hand and he was able to throw as good left-handed as right-handed. You'd never see something like that. Well, anyway, the scripture here is talking about, and it often uses the word right, the word right hand in a positive way and the left or the left hand in more of a negative way. Well, I think here the left is referring, as it says here, the heart of the fool is to the left. In comparison to the heart of the fool or the heart of the, the wise, rather, inclines to the right. The right hand or the right side denotes power and strength, but the left is devoid of it. It says in Psalm 16:8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. 
That should be our inclination to have Christ at our right hand. He's my right-hand man. He's my helper in time of need. He's my go-to man, so to speak. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have a friend in high places. But he needs to be near and dear to us. To have Christ at your right hand? Do you incline to the right? Sit thou, God says, at my right hand. He's a place of power and strength. And we are told to have Christ at our right hand, the place of prominence, the place, the place for dependence upon one and, and, and upon Christ. What a source God provides to us, the Lord Jesus. I want to set him at my right hand. Verse 3, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone, ESV says, how stupid they are. Boy, putting it very bluntly, isn't it? In other words, their, their conduct is on display and it proves their ignorance, their foolishness, and their bad character. Verse 4, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not love your post. Do not leave your post, rather. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. If a ruler's anger rises against you, this is obviously one of a high-level degree. But the way in which that can be settled or offset is by calmness can lay great offenses to rest. That's one of the most difficult things when you are in a controversy with somebody or you're having words with somebody to try to keep your composure. It's not easy, is it? But remember, praise God, we have the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So boy, oh boy, we do have a tremendous resource in the Holy Spirit to be able to minister to us so that he is the one that's taking charge in this conflict. It's sort of surprising, but again, it proves God is faithful and his word is truly his word. When we have on record, for instance, Barnabas, who was a man of great comfort, well-respected and loved, and Paul, a chosen vessel, special chosen vessel of the Lord, they had a contention it says in Acts 15 that was what? The adjective there, a sharp contention that they had to separate from each other. Now, boy, oh boy, if, if I was the author of the Bible, I wouldn't want to put that in there. To, to give kind of a bad, a bad uh, image about Paul or about Barnabas and think that these two godly men could have a contention that was classified as being so sharp that they had to separate from one another. Yes, we all have that tendency that we can boil over, we can get angry, and it's usually at those times that we say things that we later say, why did I say it? That's why I think sometimes when we can't tame the tongue, we should at least try to tie the tongue because it is an unruly evil and it can set on the whole forest of fire just by that little kindling of our tongue, how we have to be careful. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. A soft answer turns away wrath. Again, these are the wisdom statements of Solomon. 
Verses 5 to 8, or 7 rather, seem, seem to cohere as it reads, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. It's like everything is turned upside down. It's irony that you would see a rich person walking and a slave on a, on a horseback. It should be just the opposite. What Solomon is emphasizing here is that things in this life aren't always the way they should be. So our expectations might not be what we think they should be. Therefore, it should come as no surprise if we see things as shocking as this where people are, 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 who are the wrong people in the wrong places. Do you ever have a wrong boss that had to rule over you? My daughter-in-law just left a job and she was so thankful. Everybody loved her and, and, and really was so sad that she was leaving her, her job for another job. Um, but her boss treated her terrible. And she said, I'm going to miss everybody. She told us this, of course. I'm going to miss everybody. They were so great, but I had a horrible boss. She wasn't even at the, uh, you know, they have a little party, of course, at the, at the termination when, when they're moving on, but <clears throat> she didn't even show up. But anyway, you probably have had somebody in your life that's like that. Maybe you've had a husband like that or a wife like that or a family member that's like that that's very difficult. You know, the word narcissism or narcissist is a word that's more commonly used these days. Uh, I was reading uh, one of my commentaries on Ecclesiastes, and it used a word which is really a synonym for the word narcissist. And it used the expression, a navel gazer. And I said, a navel gazer? I think that's a slang way of putting what a narcissist is. In other words, this is your navel, right? You're looking down. In other words, you're self-concerned. It's all about you. You, you can't empathize with anybody. You have no feelings for anybody. It's all about you and nobody else. That's a navel-gazer. That's a narcissist. That is the exact opposite of what a Christian should be. You're not your own. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. He says, I'm the least of the saints. And he said, I am nothing in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Look at that. Look at that self-evaluation. That's, that's an antonym to, the, to a narcissist attitude. Least of the apostle, least of the saints, and I'm nothing. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But servants through whom you believed. It's, we watered, we planted, but God gave the increase. We should be just the opposite of a narcissist. We should be ones that are giving, that are loving, that are caring, that are concerned for you and others and not yourself. Jesus says those that are first are going to be last. We are the last. Let's put others ahead of ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but also but on the things of another. Right, sister, in the book of Philippians 2, 3. That, that's living out the Christian life when you can think of others more highly than yourself. Paul says to the Corinthians, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. You would think, well, Paul, if you don't love me, I'm not going to love you. That didn't stop Paul's love for them. Even though you love me less, I'm going to love you more. Even though you evil and treat me, I'm still going to bless you. That's having Christ at our right hand. 
that we can have these kinds of responses. Whoever digs a pit may fall onto it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whatever quarry stones may be injured by them. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Again, this is the Solomonic wisdom where, hey, you don't know what could happen. You could have an accident. A sister had an accident the other day. A car came around the, the, the bend and just cut her right off and hit her smack right in the right side, of, uh, left side of the car. You never know. You can't be certain. We don't have any special preservation that God necessarily puts us in this sheltering bubble and that we're free of getting a flat tire on our way to church or, or, or losing a job or having some accident or incident happen that may not be very enjoyable to do. We just don't know. We would call these things happenstance. Now, of course, because God is sovereign and he's overall all things, we have to recognize that this is how God orders the universe, even over his people. As it says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested above that you are able, but will with the trial make a way for you to escape that you may be able to bear it. So he begins that by saying there is no trial taken you that is not common to man. What is he saying? Don't think because you're a Christian that you're exempt from trials and tribulations. Don't think that you couldn't be bitten like Paul. Remember when he was putting wood on the fire and a serpent just came right out and got him by the hand like this and they said, oh, he must be of the devil. The gods are after him or something. You know, they misjudged it. It was an incident. It was an accident. What a happenstance, you could say, that happened to him in Song of, I mean, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes is loaded with those kinds of things. Now, the last one, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed but skill will bring success. I, I'm, I, I'm not a workman at all. I don't know how to screw a screw into the wall. <laughs> I'm glad I married my wife, who's a carpenter's daughter, and uh, it's bailed me out many times. Come to my house, and she'll show you all the beauties of the house that I've had nothing to do with. Um, but I have had an ax in my hand. I used to be a Boy Scout, believe it or not. Um, and I remember uh, several different times having an ax and trying to chop a tree or whatever down with an, an axe, an adult axe. And you want to obviously put more and more strength into the force of the delivery of that axe against a tree. The duller it is, the harder you've got to swing. But if you've got a sharp axe, if the blade is sharp, it's going to do its work because it's, it, it's cut that way. It makes me think of how when we raise our voices, in a sense, you know, or when people use vulgar language, the F-bomb, for instance, people that frequently use the F-bomb when they're mad, it's because they don't have the vocabulary or intelligence to use right words to get the force of what they're trying to say across. I've had to actually <laughs> talk to a, 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 I think he's a new believer who uses the F word because he used it all in his past and he's trying to you put emphasis on, on it. It's kind of bizarre that you'd have to kind of correct that, but he never really thought about it because he's a new believer and it's all, it's all new to him. But it, it's, it's strange. But anyway, um, our volume, like it says in the book of it, uh, James, it says, the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. It doesn't. 
the louder you yell at somebody, believe it or not, you're turning the individual's ears off. You've shut them down. That's not the way that we should talk to one another. With And, and I'm not saying that some people have a loud, sometimes I'm accused of having a loud voice because I get lousy hearing, and I speak louder than most people do, I suppose. But the context, I think, has to do with just, these are just simple illustrations that the book of Ecclesiastes is giving to us so that we can know how to live in this world, how we can overcome. As Jesus says, wisdom is justified by of its children. I wonder, what does that mean? Remember that verse? Wisdom is justified of her children. I think what the Lord means there is that wisdom itself is magnified by the actions of God's people in giving wisdom its rightful place as being the principal thing. Jesus said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Colossians 4 says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Hopefully, we all can absorb Solomonic wisdom in our life. And we have a greater than Solomon that's here, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes, someone has written this about the book, is a meditation of what it means for our lives to be like a whisper spoken in the wind. Here one minute and carried away forever the next. Yes, life can go by like that. Those of you that maybe in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you're saying, wow, where did life go? It's here today, gone tomorrow. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. What? Redeeming the time. Meaning, making up for lost time. Or living your life to the fullest. The fullest being what? Setting Christ at your right hand and having that wisdom that comes from above. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom that comes from above, that's pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Lord, we confess that we are oftentimes deficient. And as Paul could say to the Corinthians, is there not a wise man among you? Father, sometimes we feel as though we're in the line of those that are foolish and that, Lord, we are not living out the wisdom that you have granted to us to have through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Lord, we pray during this Christmas season, this coming week, and even the days that follow, Lord, that we would be ones that are classified as wise men and wise wisdom women in this world. Give us, O oh Lord, the peace and the understanding and a Solomon-like spirit, Lord, in the way in which we minister to, minister to others, that we would be unselfish, caring, loving, and that, Lord, we'd have that special call and wisdom from above to guide us along life's journey. We pray these things in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.